And you are listening to Love's a Secret Weapon podcast. Welcome back to Love's a Secret Weapon. I'm Dr. Adam Jirachi. We know that Mother's Day has already passed, but in Donna's reading for part five of chapter 20, Eloquent, she tells the poignant story of when she brought her mother to Hawaii to finally confess the truth. News came of Maury's death. This is when I decided to send my mother a ticket to spend some time in Hawaii to discuss what really went down concerning my biological father. When I picked her up at the airport, it was a highly emotional reunion. She was filled with regret. We hadn't spoken for several years. My mother stayed with us at our home, except for when we took one night to stay in a hotel together. In the 70s, I had acquired a family album in which I collected signatures and dates from living elders on my mother's side. I took that book with me to the hotel. For many hours, I asked my mother questions I never had asked her before. Maury was gone, and now she was alone. She began telling me about her trip to Boston in her 20th year to visit family. We sat out on the balcony of the Monolani Hotel, and I quietly wrote every word she said verbatim. In my mother's words, I was working for a milliner in Los Angeles, Saul Auerbach, keeping books, and after a couple of years, he offered me a bonus of either 500 shares of AT&T or $500. I chose the cash to go and visit my family that I hadn't seen for a number of years. I took the train to Boston first and stayed with my mother's oldest sister, Tanta Ida. Ida's son, Arthur, lives in Boynton Beach, Florida. His wife is Arlene. Ida Gochlerner, Meredith Spielberg. Their children are Rachel, Evelyn, and Libby. Rachel died leaving two young boys, Stephen and Joey. Several months later, their father died. Consequently, Arthur and Arlene adopted both Joey and Stephen and had two children of their own. Barry and Joanna. In the west end of town, near a Catholic monastery, lots of funny things were going on. I had my aunts, Tilly and Sarah, trying to set me up with dates. They introduced me to Bob. Edna is Aunt Sarah's daughter. Sarah is Grandma Fanny's baby sister. Reva is Edna's sister. Uncle Isaac, Sarah's husband, Wiseblatt, nephew, is Bob. His sister is Bob's mother who married a washerman. We went out on a few dates, and he just kept calling and taking up all my time. After two weeks, I took a train trip to New York City to visit my father's sister, Aunt Dora, whom I loved very much. Lou and Ruby were their children. Lou Feingold, a high school principal, married Lee. I also visited my father's sister, Ida. I spent a week there and returned to Boston. The minute I got back, he, Bob, was waiting for me and started taking me places and insisted upon getting me a gift. I never accepted gifts from boyfriends. 
He took me to a fancy department store and bought me a dress because we were going out with his brother, Issy, on a double date. I stayed for a few more days until it was time for me to go back to L.A. I was overwhelmed by the love he showed me. I never told anybody I loved him. I told him the last night before I left. In our passionate goodbye is when you were conceived. I left to return to L.A., but we had made plans for him to follow me because we confessed our love for each other. He kept calling me and writing me all the love letters. I could feel in our conversations a pressure to discontinue our courtship. It was coming from an outside influence. It wasn't his own feelings. Then when I found out I was pregnant and I told him, he still kept calling, but instead of every day, it kept dwindling. And then I got a letter and a bombshell dropped. I tore up all the letters and pictures, so I can't remember word for word. But essentially, he said it was over. And he would not come to California or accept any responsibility. I told my parents, and we decided a plan of action, which was to send me away back to Boston to stay with Aunt Tilly and Uncle Jack. I couldn't stay with Sarah. It was too touchy since Bob was her husband's nephew. Tilly and Jack did not make me feel welcomed. My mother's father and Manya's mother were brother and sister, which makes her my second cousin, first cousin once removed. Manya was married to Robert Aronson. They had a son, Arnold, and Manya was expecting their second child, a daughter, Natalie. I tried to contact Bob, but he would never answer my calls. It made me feel like two cents. The only positive influence I had was Manya and Robert. It was just a day-to-day -day thing, but it hurt. I always thought, how could someone love you and leave you? Your father used to sing and play violin in cafes, she told me. He had a beautiful voice. His mother had him doing errands for her, collecting rent from the properties she owned. My family was poor working people. His family had deeper roots and lived in prosperity. After you were born, Bob came to see me in the hospital. He brought me flowers and looked in the nursery to see you. And then the shocking moment came when he said goodbye forever. Bob is still alive and I'm still in love with him. On this verbal journey, my mother presented me with a photograph taken of Robert and her the day after which was the day of her departure. This is my only vision of my biological father, which I hold dearly. The photo already demonstrated a conflict with their intimacy due to two women, presumably cousins, standing between them. After finding out that she was pregnant back to Boston, my mother went this time to live with cousins Manya and Robert. Manya was a liberal woman studying for her law degree and also very pregnant. Her husband was a kind and generous man who embraced my mother. My cousin Natalie, their daughter, told me recently of a story her mother told her. Quote, my mother used to put me on your mother's belly to warm you, unquote. Natalie was born late October, which makes us five months apart. My mother weathered the winter in Boston, and I'm sure the practical sense and endearing nature of Natalie's parents helped to keep me warm in the womb. 
My mother told me as time neared a due date, she was stepping on a local train and lost her footing. She fell face down on top of me. She unconsciously made a last attempt to abort her mistake. Robert and his family encouraged her to take this action all along. I think my will to live overrode theirs. I must say, though, that wounds are deep. Not only did she and I receive physical blows that are embedded in the tissue for life, I believe that the emotional scars of her fears and actual rejection permeated all her decisions for the rest of her life. My mother passed away in the spring of 2009. I find myself randomly nestled in a crochet blanket she made for me in our later years when I offered to nurse her back on her feet. For four days, I sat by her side after a foot surgery she underwent. Unable to walk, I served her and visited. She showed her gratitude by crocheting during my visits and completed a lap-sized blanket. Her thoughts were woven into the yarn, and this was before I knew the truth. As I have said, chaos and confusion are core to control. That was the formula for her success with me. Now that I know some things about my bio daddy, I feel his voice is mine. Even though he came to the hospital to see me and bring my mother flowers, that is when he said goodbye. The visit with my mother was emotionally exhausting, but well worth it. I could then resume my life as a wife and businesswoman. Really a lot to talk about today after the reading, Donna. I know we started the podcast with some of your mother's story all those episodes ago, over 60 episodes ago. But this is really the time in the narrative that you're telling over this chapter to really revisit that story and the time that your mother Ruth spent in Hawaii with you after Maury had died and in her words what had happened early in her life leading to you being here (laughs) (laughs) oh yes and um you know we are living you know at a time on on planet earth where uh it's very wise to Mm -hmm. um uh, kind of dredge up the um history of your life even going back to ancestors that no longer are you know even ones that we've never personally known but you know there's Mm -hmm. always a story and and a thread you know into our behavior and maybe um some of our genetics and whatever but to face them i mean at least that's what i'm doing with you adam is Mm. i'm confronting the the past and letting it go and in letting it go it you know, I, I've heard the phrase, let go and let God, and it sounds so nice, but it's so hard to do. So, Absolutely, um, yeah. So, so uh, in anticipation of, of telling, you know, going into my experience that I just read about, I do want to bring it up to the present because, again, um, my mother had such a strong influence on me, mm. and um, and I put something in writing mm. um, 
that I can read and I think it aligns with what we're talking about. And it's, it's just something that happened to me currently. <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> so my, the date is June 6th of this year, 2023, four days into a bee sting, which now I know is a wasp and a hellish swollen foot that won't allow my ankle to bend. I had a healing peeling back layers and layers of years, working on emotional, physical, spiritual balancing to go deeper into possibly what was it about this sting that was so dramatic? So what has caused you a stinging sensation recently, which actually turned out to be three wasp stings on my left foot? There may be a thread that relates to why these things occur in your life. My realization ultimately was that I knew there was a blessing in disguise, although it's so uncomfortable. After nine days of being incapacitated and my foot was not healing, I felt a sensation that I had not felt before. This sting had transposed itself into a feeling of bitterness, a feeling of bitterness that I had been feeling my whole life, a feeling of bitterness that I learned from my mother's life experience of being rejected and abandoned by my biological father. This bitterness, which was also a feeling of resentment, rose up out of me, <laughs> juxtaposing this, be- this wasp sting injury. And I started thanking the wasp because it literally, something I've lived with my entire life was now rising out of me. And I felt it leave. I, I, I This is not something that I asked for in the moment, but it's been something that I've prayed for for decades, as long as I've had the consciousness to know and to identify the feelings that I was having caused by my relationship with my mother. And each time these things happen, this negativity that was residing inside me would leave a a space to be filled with something new. And that something new, I couldn't believe it. I felt a sense of grace coming through me, filling me entirely. And that was the turning point of this sting and the swelling in my foot because the next day after speaking with my girlfriend in Hawaii who knows a lot about remedies told me exactly what I should do that I had not been doing according to what I was reading on the internet (laughs) and um, and I'll just let you in on it rather than putting ice on a swelling she recommended that I scrub my injuries with hot, hot, hot water and soap, and then make a poultice of clay with apple cider vinegar to draw out the poison, which I did. And within 24 hours, the swelling started to subside. And 
guess what? I can see my ankles again. (laughs) 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 And, and I have, um, it's like a heartache, you know, caused from this bitterness that my mother experienced Mm. and that I, how do you say that, Dr. Adam, when, you know, you take on an energy from someone you love and someone that's so close to you, you know, it's just, you'd hope that it was a positive, but in this case, it was a negative. Yeah, I, I was just thinking that this idea that, um, uh, you know, I, I guess it, it's a heightened form of empathy mm-hmm. in many ways, isn't it, Donna? This, this idea that we do take on the emotional conditions of those around us and particularly uh, in our early years and, and beyond because these relationships can last a lifetime either literally or figuratively, our parents, the idea that whatever they're feeling, whatever they're projecting out, if we're particularly sensitive to that, we can pick it up. And you've often spoken about that bond that you and your mother had, this sort of unspoken bond. Would you say that that's that's a a way to understand it? Yeah, I mean, I think of a bond as more of an affectionate affectionate relationship. But I I think it was rather unique and if I can just explain a little bit that my experience with her was completely unique Mm -hmm. and if you want to call it a bond you know the bond that we had was Mm -hmm. not a healthy one Mm -hmm. Um, she portrayed herself to the world as um, a very um, kind of giving charitable loving happy woman Mm -hmm. Um, But the energy that I absorbed from her and received from her was this incredible visual from her eyes. You know, when she looked at me, she never looked at anyone else like that. Whenever Mm. I was around her, she managed to slide that in, you know, just to me, just to project literally a form of hatred that, um, you know, she was so uh, imprisoned by, you know, the circumstance of having me and, you know, what it caused her in her life. Mm. So, yeah, so um, that kind of bond, you know, I wish on no one. And, (laughs) you know, um, so this experience I just had within the last few days was so liberating. And, you know, every time something like this happens, we're such a bank for holding on to emotions mm. throughout our lives. And when we can let go of something that's so weighty and, you know, so burdensome and taking up valuable space inside you so that, you know, you, you're you really not allowed to ever really live your own truth, you know, because something else is there taking, taking up that valuable space. Mm. Mm. And I'm, when you say that idea of truth, I think that's really interesting because, and you started our conversation by talking about this idea of, you know, looking to ancestors. And one of the interesting things is, is that when you found out this truth about who, who your father was, and in the case of, of thinking it had been Maury and, it, and it, he was not, this, this was something that sometimes people experienced found out for whatever reason that who they thought their parent or parents were was not the case but 
one of the interesting things is so many of us at the moment are doing ancestry tests and DNA tests and things like that. And from what I was reading stories on the internet of people doing these tests more and more, and more recently people, a lot more people have found out that, hey, there's something that's not quite right in terms of parentage or, or whatever else coming up. And so I think there's a whole lot of people coming through now uh-huh. who are finding out some of these situations, which for you, when you found this out over, you know, 25 years ago, um, it, it probably wasn't necessarily that common that that people did, parents went to their grave not telling the truth of, of these sorts of situations. Yeah, yeah. Well, there is there is a, a very common disease of denial on this mm. planet, you know, mm. and, and it creates, to me anyway, it creates a density and a state of illusion that that is the farthest thing from the truth. So um, <laughs> that's that's what that's what uh, just occurred to me recently. But to the experience that I had with with her um, mm. in Hawaii when I when I brought her over and she, she you know, we checked into a hotel and mm. and I brought this family album book and and I, I, it's very empty, but I started it years and years and years ago mm. uh, when I when my first two children were um, just young and and uh, in my backyard I, I made some sort of an outdoor luncheon on, with a long table and I told my mother that you know as long as the relatives that she was in contact with and that I heard mm. of and that I had seen and met and some of them I knew um, who were closer um, you know, I'd like to gather them all in at one table mm. and have them sign in on my family <laughs> album book. Mm. So this was, you know, gosh, you know, maybe more than 45 years ago. Mm. So <laughs> that's the book that I took with me, the album that I took with me to the hotel when we checked in. And when my mother began telling her story to me, um, this was this was after uh, a few years went by, you know, mm-hmm. between the time that that um, Jared had met with his aunt and that, you know, she was married to my uncle and, she, you know, and she knew the truth and shared that with Jared when she thought that um, we were a ser- serious about our relationship. And, you know, and I had lived with that information and communicated it to my mother through a letter Mm. and my mother's reply to me was so what yes which put me off for another while and um and then finally you know i (laughs) uh broke down and sent her a ticket and asked her to come to hawaii and this Mm. was shortly after um, maury had passed so this was like a whole new chapter in her life and Mm. Um, we met at the airport and of course she was sobbing and, you know, it's like full of regret and, Mm -hmm. you know, and not a well woman. In fact, she couldn't even walk, um, you know, in in the Kona airport, it's not a big airport. So you have stairway down the air, you know, like Mm -hmm. the old ways in the, Mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, plane, you know, they have the stairs rolled up to them and then down the stairs. Well, 
she couldn't. They had mm. to send some kind of a gurney thing that they raise up like a, an wow. elevator yeah. And, yeah. and bring her back down and then put her in a wheelchair. Mm. So here comes my my mother into the airport and she stands up and is sobbing and, you know, and then uh, hugs me. Mm. And um, and, you know, and again, as you were talking about empathy, mm. um, you know, my heart joined with her heart and started sobbing with her. Mm which um, created a bit of a scene in the airport. <laughs> I can imagine. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, you know, because we hadn't seen each other for quite a few years. Yeah. So um, then, you know, went directly to the Manolani and checked into a room and we shared it that one night. And I was out on the little balcony with my family album mm. and, and a pen and uh, I asked her to tell me the story, which I wrote down verbatim. Yeah, yeah. That was the first direct contact I had with her. She um, she ended up being able to walk a bit. It was kind mm. of a rocking and a rolling kind of shuffle. So she didn't need a wheelchair to be with me, fortunately. So then, you know, it was at the time of our wedding, um, so year 2000 mm. uh, that uh, she she stayed with us at our home in our in our guest room and um, always you know it's like she couldn't help herself she just her eyes just couldn't hold back mm. her her misery and so she would show that to me and I recall just before the wedding I sat down at my piano and you know I was needing to vocalize I just needed mm. to exercise my vocal mm. cords and and there was a little red velvet settee nearby and my mother sat down mm. and mm. and uh, and I started vocalizing for myself you know and not for anybody else <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and but she was there and she started crying and it was mm. this remorseful kind of feeling like you know um <laughs> like look what you've wasted and you know you could have been and all of that kind of negative yep. again um you know you what did you give up and 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 it was just you know so i looked at her for the first time i had some empowerment and um and i i said to her you know i thought i thought you'd be happy you know hearing me mm. and i it was the very first time that i didn't let her negativity enter me you know after all these years of accumulating her negativity it was a it was a turn that she and and this is a hard lesson sometimes isn't it this idea that maybe there could have been a thought that when she finally revealed this truth when she finally unburdened herself of it that perhaps that that could have led to a change albeit you know quite late in life and late in the relationship but Shame is something and regret and, and all of those things are, are very difficult to overcome. And um, when, I, when I think of that story that you told and, and we talk about this whole idea of, you know, the un, unwed mother and, and what, what she took on from that, both herself and, and the people around her, that idea of shame really comes to the fore that um, 
I, I found this, this just this small quote from, uh, it's an article from the Scientific American from uh, 2019 by an author, Annette uh, Camera. And basically what she's saying, and I'll, I'll read, read it, is that we feel shame when we violate the social norms we believe in. At such moments, we feel humiliated, exposed and small and unable to look another person straight in the eye. We want to sink into the ground and disappear. Shame makes us direct our focus inward and view our entire self in a negative light. And what I'd probably add from that, um, based on the research, is not only does it turn us, I guess, inward and, and make us feel small or make us feel humiliated, but I think it can also turn anger towards ourselves and outward towards other people. And what you speak about, Donna, is this idea of the the anger that she directed outward to you for this situation that had made her feel shame as well as I think the anger and all the negative emotions she had carried from this experience that had happened to her when she was quite young but affected her throughout her life um, yeah. on the surface she didn't want people to see that I, perhaps that the image she was projecting was the one that she wanted to be or or she had wanted that idea that she was a so-called respectable woman because of what people and society would have told her at that time when she had this uh, predicament um yeah it, it, you start to see that there's there's a lot of emotion a lot of anger a lot of hurt there so many years later and and so you know situations like that at the piano um it, it's it's a very hard thing. I think, it, as you said, it takes a lot of courage and a lot of work to work through those things. And, and sadly for her, I, I don't know that she ever could have. Well, you know, I, I can just say this, that mm. it had been um, at least at least five, six, seven years since I had seen her. Mm. Mm. And it was already five years that I'd been living with Jared. Mm. Mm. And, and, you know, Jared was always showing me unconditional love, which is something that I, you know, had not experienced before. Mm. I mean, I had my momentary experiences with Jack Good on Shindig and, you know, that it was rare. Very yes. rare. Yeah. Um, and so I think that my sense of empowerment was starting to, you know, manifest you know mm, and recall before I was um, kind of when I was young enough to recall who I was before it started to become transformed into serving my parents mm, needs mm. and 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 this image of myself I think I've spoken about it when I was like three years old you know, mm. and I, and I knew that I loved life. <laughs> I knew that I loved life. And, um, and so that never went away. Mm. That was, a, that was in the core. And, um, and, and then I, I also have to maybe interject that, you know, what we come in with, the characteristics that we come in with and that we nurture and maybe, you know, we get like sidetracked and, you know, yes. and, Mm. Um, but you know, I always had that, and 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 I tend to think 
that when my mother was a young woman, from what I saw, like of her mementos when she was mm-hmm. high school student and the stories she told me when she was still living in New York as a young girl and her relationship with her brother, mm-hmm. um, that there was a tendency toward narcissism. Right, right. So that makes things even more complicated. Mm, mm. And um, yeah, I never saw her that way. I was never jealous of her or, you know, uh, I never competed with her or anything like that. But um, when you add that other element in that, you know, she thought she was the beauty. She thought she was the talented one. She thought she was the smartest. She was this. She was that. And then she gets knocked down by this fellow that she thinks she's in love with. Um, you know, that's a deep wound. Absolutely. Absolutely it is. And um, that, that does add an interesting dimension. And uh, it's so hard because we, these, you know, our parents, our, our relatives, our ancestors, we, we, we don't always get a full picture of them and, and it, it is often what we spend a good part of our lives trying to figure out in the service of understanding ourselves better, understanding them better, but also being able to break those patterns that the the gift of, I guess, having enough self-reflection or or whatever we want to call it, the, the want to try to unravel things and understand how our mm-hmm. our early experiences have affected us and, and the kinds of patterns that we unconsciously mm-hmm. took on. And, and how to how to break those where they're not serving us, um, you know, yeah, is... You have to very carefully identify them yeah. and, and then decide, you know, if they're yours or you or they don't belong to you, you know? Yeah, and I kind of wonder, was, like you said, it was a transition period in Ruth's life. Um, Maury had died, you know, she was in a different a different place. Do you think that made her more willing to share these stories? Because, you know, her first response and, and perhaps it was shock, perhaps it was when you wrote to her after you first found out the the truth, it was that very flippant so what? And I guess that was probably driven by a whole range of, of feelings that she was feeling. But was she more receptive in this moment or or um yeah, what what was the general feeling of that? Well, you know, there was a lot of activity leading mm-hmm. up to the wedding, so there were there were distractions. But the one memory that stands out is that um, our guest house was separate. It was a converted garage made into like a cottage, and it was um, maybe twenty feet away from the house. Mm-hmm. And so she, um, before the wedding, she walked down the path uh, in the evening to you know, be, I don't know, whatever her intentions were to say, hello, mm. goodbye. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> good night. <laughs> but um, uh, Jared and I were sitting at the breakfast table um, and she entered through the back door and she's, and she just stood at the other end of the table that we mm. were sitting at. And, um, and she looked at Jared and she looked mm. at me and it was like, this was her gift. She, mm. she said to us, you're now you're with the right one. Right. And, and then immediately, Jared and I both saw it. Mm. Her, her mood switched back 
to this bitterness mm. and her eyes just you know had this kind of I don't know what to call it but it's it's like a, a I, I don't know how to describe it it's just mm. not good mm. you know it's like a, a, a beam of uh, a, some someone looking at you with with uh, with disdain and um, you know nothing nothing positive she went from giving us 15 seconds of joy and her blessing to going back to who she was and and then shooting me that that glare uh, yeah yeah that, that I felt you know first time I had an asthma attack at three years of age you know yeah. same yeah. thing she just and you know uh, unfortunately and as time goes by and we talk about it more and mm. which is so healthy for me and I I hope that it brings insight and some resolution in other people's lives is that you know I I have more compassion for her my my intention is to un- have more understanding to um to see what she went through that I you know possibly just couldn't possibly experience before mm. um, and and so speaking with you Adam and talking about all these things it's it's just like you know letting her letting her be in in her afterlife in mm. peace uh, rather than me holding on to any of the feelings that were imposed on me you know literally from the womb I, I yeah. mean, I, I, I think I was swimming around in in the womb in in all of these negative feelings that she was having and that that's what I came out with and um and then we just swam in around in it together for all those years and so to yeah. to have a healing experience um like this and to um, come to some resolution with, you know, with a dysfunctional relationship. And oh, I, 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 I strive for inner peace. And, you know, it's, um, it's a long journey inward. Mm, mm. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's really, it's really worth it because, you know, my favorite four letter word is always love. Yes. And yeah. that's the healer. And, you know, I can say that I did everything I could to love her, and um, and now I can love her more. Mm. That's I, I think that raises this interesting idea that um, we've spoken a little bit about before. This idea of acceptance or even forgiveness—that it, it's not—it's not necessarily about um, condoning what people have done or liking what the nature of a relationship was, or any of that but it's accepting it for what it was and and not living in the delusion of either hoping that why couldn't have been different or how can I change this is sometimes these these are the ways things are and if we can have compassion for those people who have caused us this conflict or we've we've had these relationships with that are very complex it's something internal it's not it doesn't even depend on that other person being there or that other person us um, having the chance to tell them uh, you know we accept it or we forgive them or, or anything like that if, if for example they're, they're not around but it's as much an internal process of accepting what has been or what was um, extending that compassion where we can and committing to 
understanding ourselves as much as possible and breaking those patterns that are not serving us so that we can move forward. Um, yes. And in your, your case, you, you, know, you spoke, it was a long process. It was also a process that was immeasurably helped by Jared being there and showing you a different uh, relationship or a different experience that had been uh, lacking in your life or that you hadn't largely experienced before. Um, you know, it, it's, it's so complex, but I'm, I'm so pleased that you can talk about this idea for our listeners of how, you know, how, how we can move through these things and, and continue mm. to learn and understand, even if we are sometimes thrown back into them for whatever reason. Yeah, and there's so many different circumstances. I mean, you know, you have yours and I have mm. mine and mm. each one of us has our own particular circumstances. But as you said, the, the patterns from the past that creep in and um, take hold and confuse the heck out of us, you know, I mean, and it's like, it's so perplexing. It's like, mm. why am I angry? Why do I, ha- you know, why, why am I dysfunctional? Why am I not being able to, um, you know, be the, be the person that I know I am, but something's always preventing me from, you know, overcoming this or overcoming that. And I really do think that it's because we're, we're like these vessels filled with stuff Mm. that we we really need to let go of and as you were um explaining to me um in conversation about the unknown and we've talked about that before being in the unknown is a scary place to be mm-hmm. but being in the unknown is exactly where we need to be right now we need to be on our knees being humbled but be showing reverence to our our source of life and to all life on this planet and in the universe and all the galaxies and all life that we're we're part of and and to um be in that unknown is what what uh, transports us to that place of humility and and reverence for something so much bigger than our ourselves but that we're part of and this is this is ultimately what I hope to live to see the day where so many of us have that consciousness, you know, and reach that tipping point where, you know, you and I have seen each other physically and we've looked in each other's eyes, but we also have not seen each other for so long. And yet we still have that connection and mm. and just to just to have that connection and know that there's so many of us out there that have this capacity to share love in, in a, just a blink, you know? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then for, for those that have departed, you know, that we gently hold them in a beautiful embrace and we let them take their journey. And as you said, accept who they are. And um, and give them the space and the grace to, you know, to complete their journey, you know, the way that that God intended or creator intended, however you want to call this the source of, of all life. Absolutely. Yeah, I I don't think I have much to add because I just think that's so it's so complex and it but it's so fundamentally true and um to, to be able to do that, to see people for who they are, for better, for worse, and to accept. Yes, and to, to know that in the future, the, the, 
actually, the more you go in, if you have a few moments in the shower, if you, you know, when you're brushing your teeth, whatever rudimentary thing you're you're doing you know whatever you're exercising in whatever you even in your work that seems it's all mental if you can just slightly have that consciousness you know to stay connected vertically keep your feet on the ground and 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 your head in the sky you know and <laughs> and um and know that your work will be a, a part of a co-creation with with this incredible creative energy that you can source through you and can come through you in the smallest detail whatever you're doing you can do the best that you possibly can do that's what i strive for and you know it's it's worth praying for and and i'm so grateful for this time with you dr adam and i'm so grateful for this time to be able to share my life and as always with our listeners of love's a secret weapon fantastic and with that until next time everyone it's been a pleasure to talk to you donna today and we look forward to speaking again in our next episodes father to a son mother to a youngest one and down through generations to finally find you Sister for your brother The heart of another Given unto another Simple truth It's to you love How you love All those special ways It's all you take with you Rest fades away It's who you love and how you love All along your way It's all you take with you Pretend he's still